0: Welcome to Vista Talks: interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world.
1: Hello, and welcome to Vista Talks: interesting discussions with interesting people from around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I am delighted, and I've been looking forward to being joined in studio today by Lassane Garouge from Salesforce. Now, Lassane is a, a marketer. He's a, a technology enthusiast. A multidisciplinary when it comes to international uh, online expertise. He's got very strong content management, marketing, product management, and also analytical skills background. This is going to be a really interesting discussion today with Lucen. He's currently very busy managing an international cross-functional team uh, and also lots of different projects on a day-to-day basis in his uh, large EMEA focused role at that global organization Salesforce. Lucen. You're very welcome to the Vista Talk studio today. Thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you very much for having me. Okay, so let's get on to the show. Um
1: let's, end, let's start by you telling us a little bit about yourself. I mentioned obviously your current role, but I know you've worked in a number of large-scale organizations, things like Skype and Microsoft. Tell us about your educational background, a little bit about your career, and then bring us right up to what you're doing today.
0: I'll probably tell you how I landed into that uh, into that environment. And it started really uh, with my appetite to work in commerce in general. And back then, commerce was not really e-commerce. It was, yeah, it was a business off-print, and there is uh, offline, sorry, which is printed, and there is uh, the, the online, which really started uh, after my bachelors, I started to work with a uh, P- blue ship company on e-commerce, which was Marco Poli and Alapache.com. Those okay. two e-commerce websites, does, does no longer exist at the moment. They used to belong to Wanadoo e-merchant, which re- does not yes, belong anymore. <laughs> I remember. Very and big at the time. I yeah. had a ch- the chance to work for just a few months. One was for in referencing, one was for affiliations, and one was doing basically what's Amazon started to do at the time, which was selling books, uh, CD, entertainment, uh, cultural content. And the other one was more like uh, furniture, lights, all those type of stuff for, for the house equipment. OK, um, I, I, I love technology from the very beginning. And when the online world become more and more mature, I felt something straight away. At the moment, we have engineers who build up e-commerce websites. On their room they become very successful you can quote that big e-commerce site that was sold very expensive at the time it was like a, a record uh, money price minister do you remember that site that I, was a pre, the vaguely. premise of ebay yeah. and, yes. and so on you're, and going, the, you're going back a number of years uh, yeah. <laughs> it is. and um and um and i felt straight stru- away where do i want my career to go and i knew something that at some point that market will be a bit more matured and then we need some experts to be educated, to structure them, to take it to the next level. So that Bell exploded, exploit it, and then there is a need of rationalization into the markets.
1: You saw this trend very early on then. I mean, that's why you had this interest in e-commerce. And True.
0: It obviously influenced your career choices then, I suppose. Totally, totally. Right. And uh, and then I decided to, to have, uh, to make, at the time it was not called master, it called DESS, which is a master two in France, uh, the way how they call it, uh, it, it is definitely uh, uh, one of the things that I, I have a, a strong desire uh, to join and was very fortunate to be selected and to join that school. Uh, after that, I had uh, a small time at Dell. Uh, and at Dell I was a, a EMEA content producer for a few months where I had a chance to manage their, uh EMEA part of the site. That experience was a blast. That opened me the door to the world in a sense that I was before nationals, France markets, that was purely like in-field marketing manager, if I may say. And and now it's all oh, done. There is a world out there. So I wanted to stay internationals and therefore I decided to make the move in London, from Paris to London. Uh, and, and, and Dell at that time, I remember was a, That was it the was only a huge, way- to it buy a machine. I mean, the, everybody, enterprises, individuals, we were all buying Dells back then, you know? And at the top of all, at the time, the only way to buy Dell was at Dell.com. Right. It's not like today where they open up to other channels. So it was very strategic role. And I'm very thankful for, uh, to Dell, really, to have had the opportunity to, to, to uh, make my teeth over there, really. I started on that company as not as a strong expert uh, with everything that I can tell. So very energetic, but I was making mistakes <laughs> as well. <laughs> uh, but then, at, uh, arriving in London, I started to, to work for LexisNexis, and they are a pure content providers. So it's different from content marketings. They make revenues based of content. So sometimes you know content doesn't go well because at the end of the day you see the revenue declining before your tools telling you something goes wrong. Right. And you know that was an issue and with the it's content. It's real-time measurement. There's, no, it, there's nowhere to hide in that game. Yeah, and you don't want the guy on the field to call you to say, hey, I have an issue with that revenue. Can you check yeah. your system? Something is not working yeah. well. So I stayed over there for probably more than six years. Okay. And, and, and then I joined Skype.com. Uh, and that was content marketing, Skype.com, 32 languages. Uh, in the midst of the integration and acquisition of, uh, of uh, Microsoft. So they moved the headquarters from Tallinn, Estonia, to London. Yeah. And, and we have some... My first boss was initially in, in the US, and then there was Furiog. Um And then subsequently, I, I started to, to join uh, Salesforce. Okay. And at that, that time in, in uh,
1: Skype, I mean, I think everybody at this stage has used Skype. You know, people use it now to connect internationally around the world. And there's, there's lots of alternatives to Skype now, but Skype still as prevalent as ever. And with its Microsoft integration now, it's becoming more and more involved in, a, in an enterprise environment. So, I mean, a fantastic journey to be involved in. And of course, that brings us right up. Thank you to your current role this uh, large scale sort of a mere focus that you have in Salesforce. So I'm wondering, can you just maybe tell me a little bit about your role today in Salesforce because it's quite broad. You're you're involved in lots of different areas. So maybe Mm -hmm. just give give our audience a sense of what you're involved in and what you look after for Salesforce because Salesforce, it's one of the biggest companies on the planet. It's the SaaS leader. It's, uh, it's known as the, the number one global CRM player. Everybody knows the brand, but you play a very important strategic role in there. So could you tell us a bit about that?
0: You need to look at Salesforce, uh, not only as the size of it, but at the speed of growth. Right. Salesforce having an issue at the moment, which is they are growing very quickly. And therefore content team that get organized locally and in HQ st- does need a bit more of, of, of more um a stronger coordination, I will say. They were doing a great job. They're doing a great job. They are really fantastic at what Salesforce is doing. But as we scale, we need to be prepared for a more wider uh, holistic view toward what we are doing across EMEA from a content perspective. And that's what I'm looking at at the moment. It is looking at the prioritizations, the alignment of the resources, what the best tactic and the best practice that we can apply to be very, very effective to the market. And at the top of all, Salesforce is still scaling and growing. We are hiring at a pace that uh, it's rare to see for a company. Um, What will happen when we're going to increase the team, uh, and we are going to have more people to be integrated. How are we going to be able to cope and to manage that? There will be so many stakeholders to take in consideration for, for content. And one of the things we don't want to do is to have everyone creating content on silos uh, for different purposes and not being well aligned or, uh, accordingly. But there is as well a challenge where you want to be aligned with everyone, but that's the best way to you know, get the content out. Because you have so many people involved, <laughs> and then you don't get things—you don't get things done. So there, there is some me- mechanisms that you can do to uh, to put things moving forward. For instance, snackable contents—you uh, cannot have a heavy operation with a heavy uh, validation process uh, behind that with uh, uh, structures uh, organically that uh, will be uh, unbearable. So I'm looking into that. I cannot tell too much about what's coming up and all the key initiatives because obviously what I'm working on will come out at some point of and course. therefore uh, I'm going to spoil, spoiler <laughs> alert. Uh, but the, the sense is really to look into the, uh, our content marketing strategy across markets in EMEA. We have well-established teams that are doing a fantastic job locally.
1: Yeah.
0: Are we ready to, are we ready to scale and uh, to be more efficient uh, down the line? And that's those questions that I'm looking at. Okay. And th- th- thank you for sharing that because, you
1: know, when we see we see Salesforce from the outside, and it, it, I mean, it's huge. I mean, I was looking at the recent Dreamforce uh, convention. Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys are going to need your own city, if not your own country <laughs> at this stage, because I, we're running out of places that you can all fit in. You're bringing places to a standstill. And it's, it's fantastic. There's a such this, there's a global buzz around what's happening at Salesforce. And obviously aligning that content globally is, is very important.
0: Um, the good thing with Dreamforce though, is that uh, we do these, g- Salesforce does these giant events yes. in San Francisco. They they get the part of the city totally blocked just for Salesforce uh, during the time of the event and, and people come and, and, and engage and there is a lot of things happening. But we do as well some, um, we'll say, we call it world tour, where there is, we, dr- we bring Dreamforce at the regions and we localize these events. When I say we localize, we basically bring that, that spirit, but we put it into the UK with that UK flavor, we put it in France, with that French flavor, we put it in Germany, with that German flavor, we put it in Tokyo, in Japan, with that uh, uh, Japanese flavors, and so on. So we try to make sure that it's not uh, a US-only uh, event. We want to be close to our, uh, our audience and we want to build a relationship with them. Uh, we are available, we are reachable, we are palpable uh we are there okay and i suppose that you know bringing the essence of what salesforce is to
1: that local audience is obviously really helped by those activities and and very central to what you're doing across emir now let, let's move it on a little bit to let's talk about social media you've mentioned it a couple of times now we we see that you're obviously active on social media yeah. uh you've talked about this in the past and i wanted to sort of ask you a little bit about building relationships with customers and your views, Le on how you see the role that social media plays. Now that you, you can look at that from both a business perspective and, and from a personal perspective too. So what are your thoughts on social media and how that, how that role is playing out? You know, it's changing rapidly. What are your
0: thoughts? Uh, there, there is a, a common point, whether uh, a common element, whether you do that privately or for your personal brand or for your private company or for your company. You have to be present. And the fact that your presence means some duty, some work. You have to get the content out that will be engaging and entertaining. Um, and that's probably one of the main reasons people get into social media. They get some snackable content and, and then they get some easy information. They learn something in a quickly manner, in a seamless manner. And sometimes they go, they work on it and they look on their phone. Um, you can reach now as a business, your audience, while they go to the dentist. That's, that's a true fact. Back then, you have to go to your laptop, working hours, 9 to 5, and that was it. Um, so the common ground is really we have to be available. And when one is we have to promote content in a regular basis, in a regular cadence. A brand that failed to communicate on, on social media and their channels um, too often might be spamming per- um, perceptions. But not enough might be just, mm, they're not going to come, I'm not going to follow them. It's not important. Okay. Not interesting. Enough. The, the, the yeah. other thing to build a good relationship is regardless of all those marketing techniques that we are building, uh, we need to be authentic, genuine. And that means that sometimes while we are in a corporate environment and true for the corporate, and it's going to become the trend more and more as, we, as, as time goes on, where we get this content well-polished, well-prepared and people want to have genuine behavior. We know there is human behind behind those corporations that speak truth and speak about their expertise and their passions. And
1: speaking on that truth, because I, I did want to bring up the the, the Ohana, oh, yeah. the, the, the Hawaiian word for, uh, you know, the, the intentional family. I know it's a big thing within the Salesforce community, but basically your four core values there at an organizational level, it, it's trust, customer service, innovation and equality, if I have those four correct. And you're talking about, you know, here from a social media perspective, that trust and that authenticity is really required both at a personal and a business level.
0: Yes, it is. It is very important. Um, um, I try to not have two faces. I don't want to have the face which I have at home and the face which I have at the office. Uh, I really want you to be the same person all the time, wherever I go and speak truth and be honest and genuine. Um, and
1: that level of consistency, I suppose, is afforded to you by uh, the social media and you, you can get
0: that voice out there in a consistent manner. People can get to know the real lesson. There you go. Uh, yeah. There you go. That's, that's definitely the way I'm moving forward. People don't want you to, to feel that they are being uh, misled. Mm-hmm. Um, they want you to follow someone There is a form of emotion, and that's something I I relate to Skype. Uh, With Skype, they had a brand that was full of emotions. People had a sentiment and connection with that brand. they come to Skype because they had a story that they can relate to. At the time, it was very difficult to connect with people remotely. Uh, and that was Skype. There was stories saying people get married over Skype. Uh, kids go overseas for, for, for studies or so on, and they get connection this way. Uh, their grandparents get Skype at home to get connection with the grandchildren via Skype. There was a big emotions. We keep a bit of that uh, and a bit more on a different level but on, on social media we want to keep a, a, a connections a sentiment with what we believe people who represents aspect of our passion and what we love we all follow some youtubers what we call the influencers and i, I put with my uh, my fingers in the bracket uh, inverted commas <laughs> there in the studio yes yeah yeah, yeah. um the influencers is quite uh, interesting to, to, to as a word but um the the, the, the reality is that there is a sentiment and emotion and the connections, mm. and as every single time when we have an emotion and a connections, we don't want to be misled. So mm. trust is so key and so important to be respected and to have a continuity mm. uh, through. It's, through a, it's a
1: fascinating point that you raise, and particularly around influencers, where I mean there are some influencers that do a really good job for brands globally, but there's also a lot of people that are influencers in those inverted commas that you, that you refer to, and you can see through. The authenticity you—it just doesn't feel right. And I'm very, very interested in what you said about Skype as well, because you know, Skype we can use for business conversations and communications and instant messaging. But there's also that that real uh, emotional connection when you're talking to a loved one, a family, a friend, a member around the world, somebody that maybe you're disconnected to on a day-to-day basis. But through that technology, through that brand, you have that relationship, and that helps bring a brand closer, doesn't it? It's that it's that um, emotional tie yeah. uh, to brands. So let's let's move a little bit forward now because I, I'm very conscious that you've said the magic word snackable content to me oh. a couple of times <laughs> and I wanted to bring this up with you uh, knowing that you are coming into studio with us here today and the reason for that is I had the, the pleasure of being able to listen to your speech that you delivered at the Think Global Forum mm-hmm. uh, where you talked extensively about snackable content and that, you know, that video is available online if people want to go and check it out at thinkglobalforum.org but um, I just thought for the for, for the purpose of today, uh, in relation to the, the type of content and uh, uh, global connectivity, that global communication that we're speaking about here, snackable content is so important to brands, if we bring it back to brands for a moment, because you, you want to reach scale, but you also want to reach that local audience. So can you give us a little bit of insight into your thoughts on how important snackable content is and really, you know, are people getting it right uh, or have we still got a long way to go when it comes
0: to snackable content, in your opinion. All right, so rich local audience and scale can help and be rich using snackable content, but not always. Uh, But from a B2B perspective, snackable content is becoming a thing. Uh, People are trying to look at key recipe to get it right. Well, here's the truth. That recipe, whoever has it, come to me, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, too, it's too early at the moment to be able to describe and to define the recipe. Whoever spoke, speak about it, it will be able to get one example, two example, three example, but that experience that we have is not enough to be able to get something really tangible and palpable what we have to do regarding snackable content and it is where it is a challenge for corporate organization is sometimes you have to take some risks and try see how your audience responds and we are not there yet because Backlash can be, <laughs> <laughs> can
1: cost a lot. Um, and there's, you need a little bit of bravery there with the risk and the trials and the,
0: you need to try new things. The, there is a right? bit of flair, a bit of creativity, yeah. but at the top of all, at the top of all, before getting any risk, before getting anything on uh, yeah. that way, getting to know your audience. What do they like? Because of course, if you do not know your audience and you throw something out, um, that might be uh, not well accepted. But you will see some brands that try things out, and um, I'll, I'll name them at, at some point later <laughs> on, but not now. But they're in the very borderlines. That work very well on the consumer side. And I've seen some of those comment people reacting to that, oh, come on, I, I get offended. And you see the, all those supporters, the fan of that brand, who follow that brand, not to buy that brand, because that brand is engaging and funny in on that, on, on that sense. And um, therefore, they, they explain, oh, he didn't get it. That the typical comment that I say to people who react to that, uh, we'll say borderline comments. Uh, obviously, we don't want corporate organization to be borderline. That's not something that uh, I recommend anyone to to do. But on the B2 side, uh, some brands tried it. It has worked well. They build an audience base, and uh, it's depending on your targeted audience. Uh, but in a general sense, you want to try snackable content for a specific purpose, but you want to get engagement you want to get some um, something a bit entertaining, you want to convey information. That information you need to educate. It's like with kids, right? Nowadays, we're talking about the skill not being sit down at school and listening to the teachers. It's learn and play. You want to feed them information via entertaining them in the meantime. Uh, those techniques that you want as well to apply on social media with your snackable content, when you want to throw something out, that will be uh, memorable
1: okay so obviously memorable knowing your audience uh cr- that little bit of creative flair taking but, taking a few risks
0: but then um, how you do that when you're a large organizations yeah and everything centralized in hq uh and you want your local team to boost some corporate content but you don't get the, you don't get the local flavor you don't get the local you cannot manage that from hq so that that, that the way to do that, really, is to make sure that you have a strong, solid team in the regions, in the fields on that particular city that knows well the audience You we, and connecting with that team in a regular basis. So it's not a problem to have a content team in HQ, a content team, co- uh, a content team doing some coordination internationally, a content team locally. That's not redundant. They have a different purpose. Content is a wide area and there is room for different type of activities on that uh, content area. And we need to enable, to empower that regional team to boost some regional content. And I've seen that with some brands which they're very good at it. Uh, and um, I look at the French one and I look at the English one, the British one. They are totally different and they send the content in a different manner. They take in consideration the local cultures. And you can see one is a bit more mature, more experienced. And the second one penetrated the market just recently and started that just recently. So they are trying seeing and they try to learn and build an audience and see how their market is. So you can see the level of maturity between the two. It's two different people, two different team. And I'm sure I'm pretty convinced that those two people might talk together nearly every day.
1: Okay. They have a
0: process in the uh, background. Fascinating.
1: I mean, that brings us nicely around to the. I mean, you know, to bring it to language localization, culture, translation, all those uh, things that are that are becoming uh, have always been, but are becoming more and more realised how important they are in digital marketing today. And obviously, with yourself, your you know, you're traveling round, whether it's you know France one day or whether it's San Francisco <laughs> <up> the <laughs> next day. You're over to London. You're here with us in the studio in Dublin, Ireland today. So, mm-hmm. um, how do you see you know uh, where we are on that journey of the importance of language localization and culture? Uh, you know, are are the big organisations getting it right? Are they just starting to realise the importance of that?
0: Uh, I mean, what are you, what are your views on that? You know. Localization is uh, changing again. So we've seen the shift of localization from translation, localization, globalization, internationalization. So we've seen that pattern coming further and further. And, and some people use now transcreations and, and different terminologies and, and content marketing as a whole, including localization, is being disrupted. Uh, we cannot handle the content in the same manner as we used to handle. Um, certain company will treat the localization aspect as a cost center, which you raise tickets and you ask your agency to be more efficient. And next year, you do the same thing, same budget, but more efficiently. And there will be some control quality and so on. At the end of the day, is that content right for your cultures? Is that content right for your markets? We know, and we studied that at school, at the very early day, every market is at a different stage of the product lifecycle. Some will be a bit at the beginning, some will be mature, some will be in decline. Are we selling the same content? Are we simply translating and localizing the same content to the, to the same one? Or are we saying, for instance, that here is a report, here is a key finding, but that's different and more adaptable for a different market than the other. And therefore, I'm going to put the emphasis into a different aspect into the different market. Are we capable capable, sorry, my accent to cover, <laughs> are we capable to be able to bring that level of work and analysis and convey that content out? Usually I'm talking with a lot of LSP. They are not there yet. Uh, they've listened to that feedback. Are they ready to that? I do not know. Now, a lot of marketing organizations, they have an agency and a team for localizations and another one to create that content. Often, they don't speak, speak to each other, very often. And therefore, you you will find struggle to get the two lines connected and to be able to adapt. Localization team quite often, and I'm sure a lot of people in the audience will understand with that, they are not involved at the creation of the process. They so haven't seen the brief. They do not know what's the KPI of that content, why we are trying to achieve, what's the context of why we decided to create that content and what behavior and action item we want. They've seen the report, just translated, that's it. And i even seen something really interesting is that uh, some some people in the industry try to say, well, we're going to localize our blog. And that was it. But you take an author from another country that will speak to an agency to a different market and you localize that. Is that the purpose of a blog? So there is a big mes- misunderstanding. There was some practices that apply at certain times that if we carry on to apply we're going to see less and less engagement people see a lot of content out they want quality but we want that we speak to them and we serve the user with the information that we are conveying if we don't do that well we are going to lose the battle because some people will get it and will do it better and uh, Lassana, i think you've you've captured the essence of,
1: of of that perfectly it's it's fascinating because we you know, for the last number of years now, um, we've been using the term, um, you know, global content solutions, yeah. which is which is more aligned to what you're discussing there. You know, it's that it's that whole view of the project in terms of what's going on, as opposed to these sort of siloed pieces that just perform a function. And when you can get that whole, it's not easy to say, it's easy to say, it's not easy to do. Mm -hmm. But when you can get that holistic view of the whole uh, communications or content um, project, it it works much better, particularly when you're looking to create communications to uh, different uh, areas of culture, different languages, different countries and you know when you when you multiply that with these sort of large global brands and products you're talking about an awful lot of information to an awful lot of people around the world so yeah. uh, i can really understand the, the points that you're making there and that that brings me nicely on to i suppose something that you could argue is somewhere between the buzzword and the future and that's this uh, artificial intelligence and while i have you here in the studio today i wanted to get your Views because you're really at the cutting edge of this this content change, this this change in the marketplace, and you're you're working this through with your current organisation. And I wanted to find out about well, obviously you, you know about uh, uh, the artificial intelligence Einstein that Salesforce <laughs> are doing uh, and how big that's become very very quickly. But I really wanted to ask you a little bit more about your own views on artificial intelligence, how you see it impacting the the global content industry how you see it impacting getting messages out there and you know where are you at on this sort of journey for um artificial intelligence we we see an awful lot about it we read an awful lot about it but i, I really want to get into the brass tacks of on the ground what are your views what are you seeing how do you see this playing out
0: so there is a there will be the two type of reaction regarding artificial intelligence there will be the people who will scare and say oh that's dangerous we're going to lose a job that will be controlled by robot and uh, they will take over and but anyway they're never going to be able to do the, the the same job as we do human we are better anyway and there will be the other who will see that as an opportunity to transform and improve the worlds uh we are in and i'm more on the on the on the latter i do believe artificial intelligence is there to to serve us to give us a service to facilitate our world. Uh, In content marketing is definitely going to help us uh, better. Um, A good example on the analytics side. So whoever is capable to get analytics in uh, very quick, short times about a campaign or content theme they use across channels to understand, I put so much money on that, I put so much time on that, and I will be able to get right away my returns. Usually, we have to look at this report on that uh, dashboard, this one on Excel, I will do my uh, pivot table, <laughs>
1: you know. We're, we're all still doing pivot right? tables, yeah. And you go to the inside
0: team, <laughs> and they have a ton of requests, and they try to get you in, and and, and, and then you have to make sense of the data that you, you read. AI will do that for you now. Yes. And, and and it will do that in real life for you all the times. So that that's a plus in that sense. Um, there is different scenario that we can apply AI. Uh, some say, "Well, can AI do the automatic translations for us?" Well, if you look into it, it depends what you are, look- we are talking about. Uh, there will be some keyword uh, that are just basic. It is in the, the, um, is the there is no context, they're out of the way. Um, looking for some industry that may use those keyword. Uh, in content marketing, it is likely to be more complex as we see those voice recognition from Google, Siri. That's all doing uh, those uh, and Samsung as well, Alexa from Amazon, who as well are having those uh, th- those voice recognitions. That's going to be uh, something we're going to see a bit more and more. The truth is the following: AI is a relatively new technology, but that's stay. That's here to stay. That technology we keep evolving and evolving. The question for for every company is. How can I be up to speed given the fact that this technology keep changing and keep improving? Am I going to have 15 scientists uh, five scientists in, in, uh, in my office looking into it for me and that's not my core expertise? Or am I going to be able to partner with a company that will be able to help me get the AI right and making sure that I get all the updates and all up to speed? My take is that we're still at the beginning of a long journey and I will go really with finding that right partner now for content marketing's that's not going to replace it but we can use it to better serve the way how we articulate and f- formulate the content it's an enhancement To ultimately it's going to help in
1: the long term but we the beginning of the
0: journey well that's the purpose uh yeah. we, we talk about uh, artificial intelligence and driving yeah. that enhancement it doesn't replace you we still don't we don't want you to remove your hands from 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 the wheels right yeah. you keep it but it's enhancement. That was the initial purpose of uh, both cars who, who does it. Yes, there is this desire to have this totally, totally autonomous and so on. We're still not there yet. I think there is sometimes uh, some more work to, to, to happen. More comp- human is very complex. And I want to squeeze in a question there because you, 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 you raised voice. And
1: uh, I've been talking uh, quite a bit recently about the voice of a brand, you mentioned things like, you know, with Siri or Alexa or, you know, the Google Home products or whatever. And um, a lot of brands seem to know what sort of corporate communications they push out. They know what their logos look like. Um, But when you ask them, well, what does your brand sound like from a voice perspective? And what about this next generation coming through where they're not really using keyboards? I mean, my own children, for example, doing their homework, are speaking to a, an assistant and asking them the maths question and the assistant is speaking back to them (laughs) out of the mobile phone yeah until me and uh, other members of the family find out so when these you know generation coming through they're not typing search they're not using maybe text or language in the same manner and they're using voice for their brand have you got any thoughts on that because it's becoming more and more
0: prevalent that's a very we have always the same reaction regarding any time when there is a new technology that came in. Is that going to replace everything? Do you remember the time when internet came in and we started to have some show streaming on the internet? That's going to replace the TV. That's going to replace the radio. TV is still there. Radio is still there. We use now an iPhone and we have a virtual keyboard. All right. Do we still have removed the hardcore keyboard? Not always. I'm still having my laptop on my. They try to have the tactile. Uh, screen and the virtual keyboard on my tablet, and so now on my tablet I want a physical keyboard. Okay. So there is technology that will remain and that will always prevail because that's an extension of our and our fingers, right? That's an extension of our body. Uh, that voice recognition, that voice search that we want to see, will be another choice will be another option that we have available. We will be able to use voice search to buy something moving forward. We will see that as a big trend, definitely. We we see that we buy audio podcasts, music, some books already doing those technology and more will become, as the technology become more, more, more mature, more structured, we're going to see that uh, uh, moving forward. But does that mean that I'm going to stop reading the descriptions and the content review on on the site and without my mouse without my keyboard we all had this fantasy with mini report with that um, you know that movie mini report yes, we don't have it's screen is yeah. like uh, like the avengers and we don't have screen we type yeah. there there on the yeah. air no that i want my physical keyboard <laughs> i need my mouse yeah. i don't need the screen to look at my at my eyes to know where i'm looking at Okay. Uh, th- okay. th- that's where I am at the moment. Is that going to come in the near future uh, with a new technology? I think we should not you know, should calm things down and uh, and uh, accept those new technology coming up.
1: Okay Thank you. Lisanne. So if I'm a business looking to scale a little bit more globally, I'm looking to sell more products into a different country or I'm a, you know an organization that's looking to go global for the first time, with your expertise and your background, what advice would you give to the, to those kind of scenarios? Well,
0: if you're in retail, we publish a report actually about it. <laughs> <I strongly recommend. laughs> Go to geo-expansion <laughs> on salesforce.com. Uh, you, you, there you'll is find- some
1: fantastic information. Yeah,
0: you, you'll yeah. find some information. We've done some research, uh, research on that. Um, there was always this question on whether you want to penetrate to markets, whether you need to have a local footprint or not. And that's a very interesting question because it used to be that you want to go in that market, you have to have a physical footprint. We've seen those Aliexpress, Alibaba, um, all those pure pair we've seen with Amazon as well. Sometimes you do not need to have a local presence um, to to be there. There is a brand that they have only their headquarters for instance in Canada, and they reach out the globe. People buy into, into the internet, and um, they have their outreach and they reach the people into the the wider community. And that's very fascinating to be able to see that. Uh, Now, how you scale? Well, first of all, start with the market, which is the closest to the one you are. Uh, You may look for a market who is having the same maturity in technology, maturity in a level of culture that they are ready to get with your product. but you will see some markets which already jump some level of technology. We can talk in Africa where they don't need wired connections. They go with mobile payments. Do they need a credit card? Do they need a debit card? No, they pay right away, mobile phone. And that was a big buzz and a big growth over there. So there is a need to know your audience and to know your markets. Um, but to play it safe, I will say, let's say you want France, you've done well in your markets. Try to look at where is your most homogeneous market. Try to have a vir- virtual presence, uh, see how it works. And then if it picked up, get a local presence uh, 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 and goes on with it. It is very important from a content marketing perspective that if at the beginning we outsource via agencies for, prag- prag- uh, for being pragmatic, um, It is important that once we have a strong, solid audience base, that we start building up the team locally. Trust that people that will take a decision and that will make the right analytics. If you get a content manager to do that job, make sure it is someone who loves the analytics, who breathes the analytics. I'm seeing sometimes in industry um, a lot of journalists background, which is great. They are great for content, great, but sometimes Some of them that I I met will have some struggle with the analytics and they have to learn and transfer the competence. and they get the skill and that's fantastic and that's great. Uh, Look at someone who knows how to monitor performance, how to monitor when you make a change to an existing content, for instance, you want to A-B test a piece of content, you know it costs you so much money. What's the return on that? What's the cost per change compared to value. And there is some ratio that you can put that together and to understand uh, whether that change was worth it. Excellent points, listen Thank you. Now, before we close
1: off today, I did want to ask you if there's any other projects or areas that you want to share with our audience today i mean you're a, you, you've got an awful lot of expertise you know are you writing a book uh, what's happening <laughs> what's happening in the future for this tell us tell us a little bit or we'll share with us anything else that's that's on your radar right now
0: uh but for, for that i would say probably oh really um, okay we will uh but for, for for the moment i have few few desire few projects that they are still at the very early stage um I'm not yet ready to speak up about uh, those projects. I need to free up a lot of times sure. uh, to be able to get those things uh, through. But uh, there is few projects same, that yeah. I have dear to my heart. One of the things is really um, when you acquire a specific knowledge, I don't want to keep that. I think it is important for me to be able to give back mm. uh, to the people uh, and there is different way to give back. Um, there is definitely via social media, snaring some of the knowledge that I have acquired on the moment and commenting some of the things and the actualities. Uh, but there is as well uh, transmitting that knowledge into more uh, structured manners. And there is getting more experience and, and getting your teeth, those, your teeth uh, done into different areas. I've said too much and not <laughs> enough. In the meantime, just well, to keep the suspense. Well, I'm
1: conscious that you've also taught at the university in Paris. You've taught on e-commerce. You, you know, you've you've sort of hinted at a potential book in the future. So it sounds like you've got an awful lot coming down. So we must stay tuned to see what's coming from your your side of things.
0: Hopefully, we'll have chance to talk about that uh, at some point in the future. And um, yeah. Yeah, that, very busy. Yeah. Okay.
1: listen you know, I want to say thank you for sharing your information, your insights and your knowledge with us here today at Vista Talks. It's been my pleasure to have you in the studio with us today. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Simon. It was my pleasure to, to come over, to be able to have this uh, nice uh, conversation. And I'm definitely uh, subscribed to Vista Talks and uh, listening to your, your podcast.
1: We certainly appreciate uh,
0: it. I've seen some great name in the in the list already. <laughs> Uh, and i'm looking forward to see uh, the the one coming after me
1: thank you listen for your kind words it's been an absolute pleasure so thank you and uh, that brings us to the end of today's uh, show uh, thank you for listening today to the discussion here in studio with Lassane garage be sure to tune into the next episode of vista talks for more interesting discussions with interesting people from around the world you can find all of the vista talks episodes at vistatalks.com And they, of course, are available to listen to on all the popular podcast platforms. Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from around the world.